Psalm 68, verse 5. It says, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling or his holy house. God has a holy house. And it says, in his house, he's a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows in his holy house. Think about that. He sets the lonely in families. Is that actually a good translation of that? Is he takes the homeless and puts them in homes. Like, so you're fatherless and you don't have a home and you didn't have somebody there for you. He's a father to the fatherless and he takes somebody that didn't have a, I'm not talking about a house, I'm talking about a home. And you go to his home and he becomes your father. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I love you so much. Lord, reveal yourself today, Lord God. Heal every wound, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. You may are aware that Father's Day is a very sensitive day. How many immediately when you hear Father's Day, some type of emotions come? And uh, I'm the only one. That's... that's I ask so many rhetorical questions. All right, there's three of us that are together here. How many Father's Day brings so many emotions? I know there are emotions of never knew my father, barely knew my father, never close to my father, was really close to my father. My father's no longer here. I loved him. My father's no longer here. I hated him. I'm not a good father. I'm an okay father. All these emotions just start playing in your mind. And it's not just men, it's women. And so uh, I want the Holy Spirit to come in here today. And I'm so glad there's a day that we we kind of feel compelled to talk about this issue. Because there's certain things that I don't preach on during the year very often. But I do on Mother's Day and I do on Father's Day. And uh, so it's real important. I, I, I'm glad they're on the calendar. I, I know I'm, I'm in a different camp than James Hodson, who, who uh, doesn't celebrate fake holidays. But I'm glad we have a fake holiday called Father's Day, which is a wonderful, wonderful holiday. If you know James, you know what I'm talking about, okay? <laughs> and I say Happy Father's Day to James if you listen to this message today. All right? Praise the Lord. Um. I want want to go back to Luke 3.38. You don't have to turn there. Just listen because this is a genealogy. You probably don't want to turn there. They go through the genealogy of Jesus starting with him and his father and working their way down to Adam. And the very end of this genealogy is very interesting. It's Luke 3.38, okay? It says, it's working through Enosh, Seth, and Adam, okay? It says, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Isn't that weird? The son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, they go from Jesus, and they go all the way down to Adam, and it says, Adam, the son of God. I want you to think about that for a minute. Adam's father was God himself. And nobody else he could call his father. He was created by God on this earth. And I don't even know the conditions Adam was created in. I don't know if he was an infant that 
that there was time for him to grow, whether he was a fully grown man. I don't know how old he was. doesn't say a whole lot about him. But one thing I do know is when Adam opened his eyes, the first thing he saw was his father. He was the son of God. And then the Bible says he was in a deep sleep. And it says, this is really interesting. Listen to this. John chapter, I'm sorry. Genesis chapter 5 verses 1 through 3. It says, this is the book of the account of Adam. Adam was giving an account of his life. And it says, in the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. Okay, who's he talking about? Male and female created he them. Who's he talking about? Mankind, Adam and Eve. So Eve is uh, born. Adam's sleeping in a deep sleep. The first thing she sees is what? Her father. Don't miss that. Don't say, well, Adam's dad was God, but Eve was just uh, some byproduct here. God created Eve out of Adam's side. God intended Eve to be with Adam to fulfill uh, in their child what God was going to be for them. In fact, if you don't have both, it really is difficult without both Adam and Eve to be the type of parents that God wanted for that child. God made it so important that his image be placed on Adam and Eve and passed on to their children, that you really need both. That's why they were created out of one. Listen to this. See the oneness here in this scripture. The book of the generations of Adam and the day that God created man. Some of your versions say created Adam. In the likeness of God he made them. Made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam. You see that? Called their name Adam. Some of you say mankind there, is that right? Called their name Adam. In the day that they were created, plural again. Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in God's likeness. No. Careful now, you gotta follow along. Created a son in his own likeness. Who's his? Adam's. So he created a son in his own likeness and in after his image and called his name Seth. You see that Adam was created in God's image and then he had a son that was made after dad's image. Anybody ever taken a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy? What do you get by the time you get to the last photocopy? It's different than the beginning image, right? Not nearly as clear. You lose clarity as you continue to make copies and copies and copies and copies. And so man was created in God's image. I want you to begin to think a little bit about an image that we're created. I've been teaching um, um, about the tablets, uh, the old tablets that they used to have in Mesopotamia. The oldest tablets in the world, the oldest writing instruments in the world. And one thing that was really interesting is they would actually... Uh, have soft clay, and then they would take the soft clay and they would make characters in it and, and, and they would write books on tablets. And they put the characters on there and the tablets were soft. Then they would fire those tablets up and heat them up and they would become hard and it would be set in stone because they fired the tablets up and heated them up. 
Then they would take that tablet, flip it over, attach it to another soft clay tablet, and make a print of it. That was their printing press. Okay? This is what's happening in the garden. Every child that comes into this world is like a soft clay tablet. And they're impressionable. And God put his impression on Adam's heart, a beautiful impression of who he was. Adam was to take that impression as good as possible and put that impression on his sons and daughters. And that's what God wants me to speak about today, not about fathers. I want to talk about the impression that was put on us all through our life by by the influences that we grew up under. Everybody in here is affected by it. And this isn't about dad so much today. This is about you. Whether you're a son or whether you're a daughter, do you know that an impression was put on your heart when you were soft play? I was away with my little girls this weekend. My boys were playing basketball, so my little girl stayed in the hotel, and I just was thinking at one time. I just talked, looking at how beautiful they were. We were walking through the parking lot, and we were holding hands and swinging hands and just walking through the parking lot. You can imagine that, right? An ogre and two little girls, beautiful girls. And I was just thinking to myself, man, this is the best. There's nothing better than this. Sat in the hotel, and we had a big bucket of popcorn and just ate popcorn and watched TV and just the greatest thing in the world. And and sometimes we forget how soft our clay was when we were little kids and how hard it is. Here's, here's the thing. No father or mother is perfect. Can we all admit that? Can we all get that out in the open before we start here? Because I don't want any feelings of guilt. I don't want people to listen to what I'm saying and saying, I'm not a good father, I'm not a good mother, or I'm not this or that. Let's just say that we're not a perfect image of God. What God stamped on Adam's heart was perfect. What Adam left in the garden is so profound that I don't think we understand it. His father was with him in the garden. He walked with him in the cool of the day every day. They had a relationship that was very close. His dad provided everything for him. He never had to want anything. God created an entire universe just for Adam and Eve in that garden. And the first thing they seen when they were born was their father that loved them and cared about them. So think about this. When Adam left God in the garden, he didn't just sin against God. Sin against his father. Adam didn't just lose a relationship with God. He lost a relationship with his father. This is what's called the father wound. Let me know there's a father wound in psychiatry. You can go back in psychiatric sessions all over the world right now. And I, I've got statistics on a paper. The most profound and the largest group of statistics you'll see in any category is the father wound statistics. They're overwhelming. I mean, they're so overwhelming that it would be depressing just to even talk about them, the fatherless. 
because it's just every area of society is so dramatically affected by the relationship with the Father. And so what happened in that garden is extremely important this morning because if we don't restore what's been wounded by the enemy in our relationship with our Father, it'll affect us all through our life. And so God wants to restore not as much. He wants to restore your relationship with your natural father. But the natural father was an extension of the heavenly father. That relationship, if we can restore that relationship, every other relationship will be restored in your life. But God's got to heal the father wound. The father wound. You say, well, how can I be wounded when God's right there? We turned our back on our father. That's why the wound is there. When Adam turned his back on his father, he opened himself up to another father. How many know that? How many know that destruction came to this world, the, every sin, every crime, every evil in this world came because he turned his back on his father? And his father was so angry with him. Do you think he was really angry with Adam? When Adam committed that first sin, God immediately came down and said, I want you to know that I'm going to restore the relationship with me and you and I'm going to give my own life because it's the most I can give to you to show you how much I love you. And the father came down and immediately, the very first sin, the very first rupture in that relationship with his father, he said, I'm going to tell you now, I will die for you because it's the only gift I can give you to show you how much I love you. Trying to restore a father and a son relationship, a father and a daughter relationship. Don't miss evil in this. Can I tell you something just from the bottom of my heart? One of the great sins from the garden is the battle between men and women. The desire for women to be over a man and the desire for a man to be over the woman. You know, there's a role for each person that we have to fulfill. And I can't, I can't fulfill my role as a man and a father unless my wife supports me in that. She can't fulfill her role as a woman unless you support her in that. We're equal heirs in Christ. And one of the destructive things of the enemy is to break a separation between mom and dad because if that happens, we can't fulfill our role to be uh, an impression of God in that child's life if we're not together on that. And everything that I do as a dad, everything she does as a mom, everything a single mom or a single dad does is to point that child to Christ. And if you can point them to their father, they don't need me anymore. I love to be there. I love to be a part of their life. But I'm not necessary if they know the real father. If they know their father in heaven, I've done my job as a dad. I've got a very sincere role to tell them who Jesus Christ is, who the, who the father in heaven is to them. And there's a soft clay there. And sometimes we look, and I, as I look at these statistics, sometimes we look at fathers and... We see the sins of the father. And we see things that cause damage to kids. But sometimes we overlook the impression of righteousness 
that a father can put on a child. You know, if a father does the wrong things, they can send them into a sinful life. They can launch them into that life. But if he does righteousness, he can put an impression on them that's even deeper than sin. If you love them and you're righteous in their life and you care about them like Jesus cared for you, the impression is so incredibly deep. But if I put an impression in that clay that is destructive, there's a wound that's hard to heal. How many understand that? And a lot of us have what's called father wounds. Father wounds deep inside. Listen to these statistics for a second. Let me say this first. What is the father wound? Every person has a deep longing in their heart to hear from their father the words that Christ heard from his father. This is my son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. It's a deep longing to know that we have pleased our father. The father wound, listen to this, is a deficiency or absence of love from your birth father or adopted father, whether intentional or unintentional. It's a deficiency of love. I mean, know that this instantly carries into your relationship with the Father. If we have any deficiency of that love, and some of us are sitting here today, and I just know what's brewing inside. You were wounded too. How many know that? We're all, we've all been wounded. Let's just admit it. We've all been wounded by a word or by an action. We may have had the greatest Fathers in the world, we may have had no father in the world. And it's so important that we begin to understand who he is as a father. Because if he doesn't, we can't find healing in our heart for this wound. <clears throat> when we come into this world, listen to this. We're helpless, we're dependent, and we need acceptance, and we need to be treated as being worthy, and we need to be blessed. Now I want you to imagine coming into this world and it's not God's face, you see. It might not be any face at all. I mean, know that. There may be no face at all that you've seen when you came into this world. But I, I am helpless here. You may have ever felt this. I'm helpless here. I don't have anybody here to help me. You ever been helpless? I'm dependent. I need somebody to accept me. Do you guys understand? You've been there? Hallelujah. I need to be treated as worthy. I want to be esteemed. I want somebody to look at me and say that I'm somebody and I don't have to do anything to be somebody. I need these things. I need these things. I need to be blessed. Do you know that every father will fail in some way in these areas? But the heavenly father never will. I can find these qualities in him if I never got it from a single human being in this world because my God says I will be a father to the fatherless in my holy house. And there's an epidemic right now of people that don't have fathers. Here's some of the reasons... Why you may not have a father in your life. Neglect. Let me know that you can have somebody in the house capable of fulfilling the need, but how hard is it, men, to work all day long 
12 hours, 16 hours, 20 hours. I pulled a 36-hour shift once. We have done that, 36. Few of you have done that. You work all the time. Work, work, work because you're a good man. You love your kids. But how easy is it when you run to the end of your strength? I've neglected my kids now. I love them with all my heart. But I've neglected them unintentionally. And I'm just telling you, we fail. We fail. There's so many times that I wasn't able to be exactly what I needed to be because I was doing the right thing. Working to provide for my family. What I'm trying to say is we come, we, we come short. We, we don't reach the goals we want because we're not capable of being the father that he is. We're just not capable. How many know that? Sometimes neglect is intentional. Sometimes it's just, I don't want to take care of a child. I don't want to be there. I don't want the responsibility. I can make the child, but I don't want to be the child's father. And so we have to find a way. Here's the good news. The greatest father in the world is going to neglect you in some way. But God never will. God will never neglect you. So God can be, whether my good father or my bad father neglects me, either one, God is my replacement. For that father, and I've got to get God in my life because I need a dad. Absence. There's a lot of ways to have an absence. You could have the greatest father in the world and you could be separated by divorce. You'd be separated by separation. Be separated by death. How many know absence takes away a lot of great fathers and a lot of terrible fathers? It goes both ways. Which means, again, I come short of being the father that God can be for my kids. I mean, no, it's critical that I teach my kids. I put an impression on their heart of having God as the father of their life, not me. I want to be their father. I love being their father. But I'm going to come short here because I can't guarantee that I'll always be around. I can't guarantee that you'll always be around. But I can guarantee you that God will always be around in your life. Because my Bible says that he's a father to the fatherless in his holy house. He will give a home to those that don't have a home in his holy house. Boy, that blows my mind. I may have experienced that. I'm the only one. Man, I'm blessed. So blessed. Anybody else experience that? Praise God. Hallelujah. Abuse. Let me know that a lot of kids were helpless, dependent, needing acceptance, treating them as worthy, blessed, and they're experiencing abuse. Hold on, I'm not talking about the bad abuse yet. I'm talking about good fathers. How many have ever been in a situation where you want the best for your kids? And you know the best is getting good grades. How many know the best parents can put pressure on you to get good grades? And it can seem like to that kid, that impression on that clay can seem like you care more about the grades than you do about me. Good parents, really, really, really good parents because they love them so much, they know that they need to do well in school. And that child, that impression is so soft 
All they hear is the harsh words. They hear the criticism because you're trying to get the best out of them. I got a message this weekend from my son's coaches. My son, both boys, and the coach center, and he just said, your kids did this, your kids did that, your kids did this. And I know for a fact that I've got to do my best to help them because they want to be the best that they can be. But I told him, I said, man, I'm so happy that they're doing well. But I don't want those two, looking at me, any of my kids that are here, I don't want them to ever think that an accomplishment or what they do is why I love them. We have to make sure our kids know that if you do nothing as far as accomplishments, I love you. I love you no matter what you do. You could do nothing in this world, and this guy right here is going to love you. And, and even though we push him to get good grades, even though we push him to get an education, although we push him to get a good job, we push him to do things because we love him, we can never let that impression say, works are why I love you, I love you, period. But the best parents in the world do that. How many agree? Now the worst in this area, there are kids that are sexually abused, there are kids that are verbally made to feel like they're nothing. They hear words on a daily basis, you're nobody, you're a loser, you're never going to mount anything. All the aggression that mom and dad ever had in their life is being poured out on that little piece of clay. Do you feel the pain? Do you know what it's like? I know you do. I know you. it's in there. It's the wounds. That's why I'm so glad he's our father now. I can't promise you that the good parent will always tell them they love them, even when they accomplish nothing or fail. But I can promise you that God will love you no matter what. He'll love you no matter how much you fail, no matter how much you fail in life, I can promise you He will be your Father. He will love you. No matter how many times this guy fails or you fail, son, daughter, He's going to love you. You need Him in your life. Control or oppressive domination. That's what I was just talking about. Let me know that a lot of people can't serve God. You know why? Because they're not doing enough for Him. Where do you think they got that? Something in that clay has a deep impression in it that says, I must do this to please my daddy. I must do this to please my mom. And the clay that was once soft hardened into a mold. You guys, have you ever seen that? It hardens into a mold that is now your hard heart. God was giving me a picture when I was writing this message. Here's the last one. Let me give this real quick. Withholding. Sometimes parents withhold love 
blessings or affirmation and it leads to a tremendous lack of self-assurance. I mean, oh, that's true. Anybody ever seen somebody that's just always withheld? Always withheld. You're always just a little bit away from reaching the mark that was set for you. And they withhold and they withhold and they withhold. Even the best parents do that. The worst, forget it. But I can promise you God doesn't do that. God doesn't say, do this, do that, and you can be my child. Do this, accomplish that, be great in the Lord. But we've got this clay that's just set hard. And we don't know what really it is to love a father. And when I was writing this message, God just showed me a picture. And this is a strange picture, but I want to share it anyway. I could see those clay tablets that represent the law and the flesh and these hardened tablets. I could see Moses just carrying those things down. I could see your heart that's just destroyed because of these relationships and destroyed because of the pressure that you put on yourself. I could see Moses taking these stones and just shattering them. God says, look, I've given you a new heart. I've given you a soft heart. I've given you a heart that has been born again. Do you understand what God's trying to do to your heart? Adam woke up and Adam was in the presence of his father when he was born. You were born again. Guess who was there when you were born again? You were born in the presence of God. You are the son and the daughter of God. And when you were born again and you open your eyes, guess what you see? There was a father looking at you that loved you and cared about you and he wanted to put an impression in soft clay, not the old hard clay. And if you're going to want to live this life and you want to shatter everything that's ever been spoken against you by an an adult, by a leader, by a person who is in charge or in authority, if you ever want to live your life without that, you've got to shatter that old hard clay. There's something inside of you that's so rock hard and it's been placed there for maybe 30, 40, 50, 60 years. And God's saying, shatter it, be born again, be soft clay. Let me put my impression on my son and my daughter. And you've went too long living trying to prove things to people, trying to affirm yourself with people, trying to worry about what people think about you. You have a God that loves you and cares about you and has an impression on you and you can't fail. He loves you. And He's trying to rebuild you. He's trying to shatter all the old image that you had and give you a new image. Here's the stats of... This was at the beginning of my message, so... I want you to think about this. Please... Do not say I'm a good dad or a bad dad or I'm a good mom or a bad mom. Here's the stats. This is completely fatherless people. And today I'm talking about having a father that's the greatest father in the world that wants to pour things into you that nobody else ever poured into you. But a fatherless child, a totally fatherless child is five times more likely to kill himself. Five times. Wow. 32 more times more likely to run away. 20 times more likely to have behavioral disorders. 14 times more likely to commit rape. 
nine times more likely to drop out of school, 20 times more likely to end up in prison, 63, let's see, 90% of all homeless and runaway children were in fatherless homes, 32 times the average. Education, 40% are likely to repeat a grade in school, 70% fatherless likely to drop out of school, Children with a father at home like more likely to get A's in school. Children with fathers who are involved more likely, let's see, 75% of patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes, 10 times the average. These, these will blow you away. And I'm not going to go through all of them, but crime is ridiculous amounts of crime. Um, the percentages are really high. They've actually taken 1,000 inmates in different facilities and ask them about their home life. And it's the one common denominator with everything. School shootings, common denominators is the relationship they had with their father. It's like the closest link to almost anything. And I can go through almost every area, and what I'm saying here is, listen to me very carefully. In a group like this, I cannot... Control whether you had a father or not. I can't, uh, I'll look around this room and some of you would be shocked. There are people here that are the godliest people that I've ever known and they didn't have a father. They didn't have anybody there for it. We could sit here all day and make excuses because of the way that we've lived our life according to the way that we were raised. And we can't do that. We can't allow ourselves to go down that road and say, well, I had a hard upbringing, I had a hard life, I didn't have a relationship with my father. And what God is saying is, I'm right here. I'm right here and in my house, I am a father to the fatherless and I'll give a home to those that don't have a home. And God's saying, let me be your father, let me father you, let me put my impression in your life. Look up and be born again and see me, I want to father you. And he's calling out to us today. Listen to this. Here's, here's a real interesting, in fact, I almost forgot to read. Listen to this. This is just one little microcosm of this uh, not having a father. Listen. How does this wound show itself? It's revealed in so many different ways. The person may find it impossible to trust anybody who's in authority. You see that? We find it impossible to deal with anybody in authority. They may perceive all father figures as their enemy. When faced with the father relationship in work, in sports, at church, or almost anywhere, an ordinarily mature and sensible person may rebel and undermine the father figure or completely reject him. You listen to what I'm saying. That's how deep the father wound is, and I could just see the enemy right now trying to make it worse, trying to inflame it, trying to infect it, trying to make it more and more and more of a gap between you ever having a father because of what one or two or three or four or maybe a whole lifetime of people did to you. And God is saying, that's not me. And the enemy is saying, hate him. Hate them. Just completely continue to be angry. And you see it every day, man. I've seen it. I, I had a youth group. I had a youth group. And the youth group was known 
and Laura will back me up here, the youth group was known. They had, they had guards that had um, off-duty police officers to watch the youth group because there was so much, you know, drugs and fighting and fistfights and this and that. And even around the state, people would come in and they'd say, man, that's the worst youth group <laughs> in the world. And, uh, and and so anyway, they came in and they said, hey, we think... Uh, we think we can send you down there and take care of this problem. We think that you've got the right personality. And, and uh, I'd been in youth ministry quite a bit, and so I was really, really confident in myself that I would come in and take care of the problem. You know, just a little bit of discipline and this and that, and I'm good to go. And so I went down there, and just as confident as I could be, but all week I could not even, I mean, I was troubled all week. And it's not like me. If you know me, I could roll out of bed and preach a sermon. Literally, I could do, but God wouldn't speak to me. God literally not only would not speak to me, he made me confused. And I was so so confused, I couldn't even hardly talk. And so I walked in front of this group, and uh, and I just said, hey, I'm sorry. I said, I prayed all week, and God will not speak to me. I mean, God literally would not speak to me. Wouldn't talk to me, wouldn't, would confuse my mind. And so they said, well, what are we going to do? And I said, well, if anybody needs prayer, we'll pray. I said, but I don't have a message. I said, God won't talk to me. So they all laughed and they had a real big time and thought that was the funniest thing in the world. And, and I was miserable. I just, I, I'm just being, I don't know what I could have done. Um, I couldn't even fake it, honestly. I couldn't. I pulled out old sermons and said, maybe I'll preach that. And I said, I can't even do that. It just was really weird. So I came in the next week. I prayed all week, much harder than the previous week. Came back in and, and uh, same thing. I'm a new youth pastor. And that church, you don't do this kind of thing, do you? You don't do that kind of thing at that church. And so I came in the second week. I couldn't speak again. I was confused all week. God wouldn't speak to me. And, man, I was just at, at wit's end. I came in again, and, I, and, and the group grew. They actually grew from, like, 23 to, like, 35. And this group at one time been, you know, 100. So the next week they, they grow by about 15, and then I said, I can't speak again. Well, they get excited, and they're laughing, and they're like, oh, God didn't talk to you again. I'm like, no, he didn't. And I was really upset about it. And so the third week came. Here's your new youth pastor's going to come down here and discipline and get everybody in order. Third week, God still wouldn't speak to me. Confusion. I didn't know what was happening. I got upset. I went to the prayer room and I said, guys, I'm sorry. I'm going to resign. I'm just going to resign. I don't know what's going on with me. I don't understand. And one of the women was there and she said, it's really weird. I've been reading a book called The Spirit of Intimidation. And in that book, John Bevere goes to a church and for three straight nights of revival, he can't speak. Spirit of confusion, every, everything that I was doing. And so then immediately I just locked myself in all week and I was God, what is it? And God said that these kids are so rebellious because everybody that's ever been in authority over them failed them. They didn't care about them. Every They never had police officers care enough about them. Never had mom and dad care enough about them. And almost none of those kids went to our church. They're just street kids. 
And he said, if you're ever going to get through this wall of rebellion that's in that room, he said, you'll never be able to speak a word to that group of kids unless you break through that wall. And he said, everything you say is going to hit that wall and come right back to you. They'll never hear it unless they know you care about them and you love them. And so that first night, this is the weirdest thing. I said, what do I do, God? And he said, give them rules and explain to them why the rules are there. I was like, wow, that's a weird thing. So I said, well, God's finally spoke to me. And God told me that uh, you guys hate authority so much that nobody can ever talk to you. And I said, here's the first rule. I said, nobody's going to be allowed outside of this perimeter. And I said, the reason why is because I love you. And if it were my kids in this year, I wouldn't want them selling drugs. I begin to tell them that I love them. I expect something out of their life. You're not going to act that way when you're here. I'm going to drive you home, and you're going to think about it, and you can't come back until you respect me when you come here because I love you. I care about you. And these kids that blew their mind. They never had anybody love them. They never had anybody care enough to say, get good grades. They never had anybody explain why grades are important or what they can do with their life or even care that they're in trouble or care that they listen in church or care that they do something with their life. These kids had never heard that. Everybody wrote them off before they ever even met them. Everybody wrote them off based on their last names. Everybody wrote them off based on the color of their skin. Do you understand that there are people that don't grow up with fathers and they don't understand. They don't understand that there's a God that loves them, a God that cares about them. And let me continue reading this. Think about that. It says they undermine the father father figures and they reject them immediately. They may give the person the silent treatment or they may just totally walk out on them. In other words, they will exhibit... Immature behaviors, reacting like a child or an adolescent, responding to a negative father figure their entire life. No authority will ever they accept, including God. The father wound may reveal itself in distorted sexualities. Listen to this. The genesis of the homosexual condition is rooted in the search for a loving father. That's saying a lot. Some of you didn't think about that. The genesis of the homosexual condition is rooted in the search for a loving father. I believe that. Some immature heterosexual conditions present are are many times little girls looking for a dad. The wound may show itself in a person's inability to accept himself or herself a poor self-esteem, immature rage, and aggression toward other people. The father wound can be at the root of a whole range of other difficulties. You ever feel yourself saying you're not good enough? I'm going to fail. I'm not going to make it. Maybe that's because somebody told you your whole life you're not good enough and you can't fail. The wounds that we carry on to our own kids. We know that's true. Radical feminists, for example, often rage the patriarchal system of men. To be sure, there have always been aggressive and abusive fathers, but to accuse all fathers and all men 
because of some evil is unrealistic and unhelpful. The answer to bad fathers is not no fathers, but good fathers. You know that there are radical feminists that just simply never had a father to love them. And so they're against every authority figure that is a father. Oh, praise God. So how do we heal the father wound? I'm going to close here real soon. Jeremiah 6.14 says, You can't heal a wound by saying it's not there. Jeremiah says you can't heal a wound by saying it's not there. I'm just asking you today to search your heart. Search your heart and see if it's there somewhere. Is there something in there that's a wound and you just refuse to say it? And sometimes we treat other people. Anybody ever thought to yourself, man, my life's hard. My life's always been hard. It's been hard since I was a kid. And that failure just jumps right in there. And that wound, the enemy just starts festering, festering and festering. It's because you've been wounded. And God is the healer of wounds. Listen to this. Oh, where did I put it at? Jesus is the wounded healer. He was tempted by Satan so he would know our temptations. He experienced suffering to know our suffering. He was rejected, mocked, and beaten and crucified. He fully understands our pain and is our wounded healer. 1 Peter 2.24 says, By his wounds we were healed. In fact, if you look at that word, by his wounds in the Old Testament we were healed, And then you cross-reference that to the Greek word sozo. You know, that's emotional, physical, mental healing that God is providing for us. So how do we begin the healing process? First thing we have to do is we have to have a father. I call this replacing our father with the one Father that God always intended us to have. If I've got my father, if I've replaced and I have a really perfect father, how can I now be angry at my real father? How can I be real angry at any authority figure in my life if I now have a perfect father? It's very difficult for me to not be able to forgive if I've met my real father and I've been born again. The key is forgiveness. You say, well, how is that important? Because number one, what if I have a father that I don't get along with? And there's something between me and him we can't talk. We can't talk and there's a rift between me and dad or me and anybody. The first way that I can rebuild that relationship is to ask for forgiveness. So Jesus says if we're faithful to ask for forgiveness, he will absolutely forgive us of our sins. And that's all he's waiting for. He's asking for us to say, Dad, I'm sorry. I want you to be a part of my life. I want to be a godly person. I want to be somebody who has God in their life. So the beginning of healing is forgiveness. You have to come to the Lord and repent and get right with God. And you say, well, what's that going to do with my natural relationship? Well, now God's in my life. So now I can go back to everybody that's ever hurt me and it can't fester anymore. 
God wants me now to forgive those who have sinned against me. So now I go and I begin to um, go back and ask forgiveness for everybody that's ever hurt me. And I can do that now because God's healing my life. I don't even know where I'm at in my notes. I don't even know why I look. The next thing that God wants you to do is God wants you to go back in your life. Look at all those things that people spoke into your life. Those wounds. If you've got wounds in your life, every time an authority figure, how many have ever had a coach or a teacher or a principal or a parent or a youth leader? Somebody has said something that just left a scar inside of you. Maybe it was a wife or a child or a parent. Or It's really important that as God begins to heal us, really important to go back at what was said and let God begin to speak over that situation. Like when they said you were nobody, take that to the Lord. Every wound that you've ever had, take it to your father and see what he says about it. Take it back to him and let him speak tenderly over you. A lot of my times of prayer, a lot of my healing in prayer is just doing that. Just saying, God, this is what they say about me. What do you think? God, this is what they think about me. What do you think? God, this is how I feel about myself. What do you think? And God wants you to begin to have a dialogue with him where he can speak healing over you. Where he can begin to heal every single wound in your life. And God wants to begin to do that in your life. If you'd stand your feet with me today. Worship team. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, right now, we come before you, Lord, and I just pray over these hearts, Lord God. I know this is heavy. I know that it's a lot of really tough things to open up on a Sunday morning, Lord, but I just pray right now you're anointing over every heart, Lord God. Even right now, Lord, I pray healing over every wound, Lord. Lord, I pray that during this time, Lord, this few minutes that we worship you, Lord, that you would be like a healing oil over your sons and your daughters, Lord.